everybody welcome to wrestler court podcast with keenan and turtle i'm keenan obviously and i'm turtle we have a huge show for you today but don't forget please rate review and subscribe over there on itunes you can also catch us on cbs philly.com as well and as the radio.com app the radio.com app did you know the radio.com app can stream anywhere in the world it's new and improved it's fantastic wherever you are you hit radio.com you can get keenan and turtle Ooh. if you're on a cruise like i will be soon if you're keenan on an airplane turtle. If you're on the road anywhere, you can get the Keenan and That's Turtle podcast. That's a lot podcast. of Keenan and Turtle. It, re- it really is. But you can get that podcast anywhere. This very one right here. And we have a great show coming up today, don't we? We have a fantastic show coming up today. Huge guest. Big guest today. Besides me? Well, you're not really that big of a guest. Well, you're, you're a co-host. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm just saying. Oh, God. But who's the guest? Tell me. We have the great, legendary WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross coming on to talk with us today about his new book, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling, which is available, Turtle, on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I am thrilled. I love this guy. I've loved him from the start in wrestling. He is the one of the icons of the sport. I cannot wait to talk to him. Without a doubt, he's definitely the voice of the WWE, but before we get to Jim Ross, he's coming up here in just a couple of minutes, I got to touch on a couple points here. Did you happen to see Monday Night Raw this week? Of course. What else am I doing Monday nights? The Miz versus Roman Reigns. This this bothered me for a lot of reasons. This match was really, really good. The crowd was into both guys. Roman was finally getting over. I mean, they were cheering Roman. Pot's legal in Denver, right? That That's insane. And listen, I, I've had... Enough of Roman Reigns. But what I'll give you is he's a very, very good in-ring performer. Everything else, he stinks. But with this whole feud, wow, with this whole story, wow. with this storyline, listen, I'm going to tell you stinks, and that's fine. With this storyline, he is it's beginning to come out of his shell. He started with the John Cena storyline. He's begun to come out of his shell on the mic. And this storyline, too, with The Miz and The Miz Taraj and all that kind of stuff, it's breaking him out of that shell. He's becoming... The guy, as he likes well, to say. Well, it's been a one-year story arc, you know, so to speak. It started with The Undertaker, then we went to John Cena, now he's moving on uh, to Roman Reigns. Or, uh, to <laughs> he the is Miz. Roman Reigns, to The Miz. But and just, just real quick, think about that storyline. One of the best of all time, another one of the best of all time, and The Miz, who, listen, he's not one of the best of all time, but for 100% sure... He's a WWE Hall of Famer. And we've talked about this off-air. You feel that this is going to go to Roman Reigns' Brock Lesnar this year at WrestleMania in New Orleans. Absolutely. And l- that's one of the things I dislike about WWE. It's so easy to kind of telegraph what they're thinking a lot of the time. And listen, they surprise you every now and then, and that's great. But where else is this going? Because there's no way that Finn Balor coming up is going to beat Brock, which is going to start feuding soon. That's kind of he hinted out the other day. It- it's got to be him. It's got to be, and I really don't enjoy when I just know what's going to happen. But I'm enjoying the ride so far. I'm enjoying the Miz Taraj storyline right here with him. Your feelings on Roman Reigns notwithstanding, let's circle back to Denver here. 
This match had fantastic storytelling. There Absolutely. was a heel. There was a baby face. They were booing the heel. They were booing, uh, They were cheering the baby face, rather. It was classic old-school wrestling 101. The Denver crowd was into it. And what made this match, for me, so good was the false finishes. The false finishes yeah. made me believe. And as somebody who's been in the business for as long as I have, I've seen a lot of false finishes. I've counted a lot of false finishes. It's not too often that people can get me on false finishes. These guys got me twice where I thought this match was over, hence the, the, the term false finish. I thought it was over. They had me hooked. That's what got me into wrestling to begin with, was the quote-unquote false finish. It's that moment the oh, 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 or it's yeah, whatever, correct. whatever emotion you have. It's that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then nothing happens. It's that or they one, kick out. two, oh, you know what I mean? That's what gets me hooked. It's about to be over. When you don't know the end result, you think, oh, well, he hit this move here, or she did that move there. One, just like I said, one, two, and like two and five eighths, or six eighths, or seven eighths, or whatever, they kick out, or they grab the rope, or the tap out doesn't come, whatever it may be. That's what got me into wrestling, and that's what the beauty of this match was. I don't like Roman Reigns. I've told you this a million times, but that match had me, and if it had you, it had me. Well, all that went out the window, I got to tell you. Well, It all went out the window because the run-in for Sheamus and Cesaro, it was not needed here, and it ruined a perfectly good match a match that everybody was into. Look, you can have the same result. Yes. But let's have one of the guys go over. Let's have a definitive uh, winner and a definitive loser by a pinfall. And you can have the same result on the run-in afterwards. The screw drop finish was absolutely terrible. Listen, I get it. It falls into the narrative and it falls into the thought process of the Shield reunion. I get it. I understand it, but you can get the same result after the one, two, three. There's no need to ruin a perfectly good match where both guys are getting over and they're working hard for each other, and the crowd is finally behind Roman Reigns. And then they ruin it. It's terrible. It was I, awful. I have a couple problems coming on here, and I hate, I hate the Shield reunion idea. I despise it. No, I, I don't hate it too much. I hate the fact of them reusing a gimmick over and over and over again like they did, and especially because this one's not going to be for good. This one's going to be a one-off. It's going to be the next pay-per-view. They're going to contrive a weird match with Sheamus and Cesaro and The Miz, who essentially weren't even part of this whole feud to begin with. It was the stupid Miz-Tourage who are irrelevant, and now I get that too. You can't have Bo Dallas and um, um, uh, Axel, Axel in a big match with Roman Reigns. I understand that, but now it's just some weird little... Oh, let's put Sheamus and Cesaro. They have nothing better to do right now with The Miz versus The Shield, who are done. And now they're just kind of putting in Seth and Dean, too. It, it's a weird little combination. I hate reusing the gimmick, and I hate the way they're building the gimmick. You might not be too wrong on the one-off. Um, the thought process here, I think, is The Shield was one of the most dominant factions in recent WWE history. Absolutely. It was it was a group of guys that were over with the crowd. They it's a nostalgia act basically. Sure. They were they were over but they with do the crowd. So much of that. They were super I mean how do I want to say this? They were they was, let's just say they were super, super over. So when something like that hasn't been around for a certain period of time, look, it's gonna move merchandise. 
The Shield are going to sell tickets. But that's the problem. It's a money grab. They're going to sell a long term solution. This is a business. I know. I get it. But it's not what's best for fans. It might be best best for business, as they like to say. It's not what's best for fans. If you're going to bring this back, bring it back. I liked. I really enjoyed Roman Reigns as the quote unquote muscle of the Shield. I liked that. When you're force feeding him down my throat as the next guy. Especially because you don't have the next guy. You ruined Finn Balor. You ruined Samoa Joe. And now part of it, he got hurt. But it's not where all three guys are headed long term. And I think we all understand that. Then that's that. why it's a waste to And me. I think we're all on the understanding of that. It's not a waste more so as maybe hearing that music one more time. So you're going to bring the music or, back one more or, time for see a, that a semi-irrelevant pay-per-view. One more time. Down through the crowd. It's going to be a one-off versus three weird combinations of guys. Give it, the crowd something that they've wanted. Give them something to pop for because... Quite honestly, there's not much for them to cheer for right now. So. so the shield, yes, while it may be a quick fix, is that fix sure, for I right now. So we're certainly going to have to see what happens with the shield. I wasn't a fan of the finish of uh, Roman Reigns versus the Miz. I'm never great a fan match. of those type of matches. By the way, that, What's it that? ruined a ma- it ruined that match. You're right; it was a great match. Oh yeah, and it ruined it because it was a way to fit this in. Well, whatever happens with the shield remains to be seen. But I got to touch on something real quick. You watch Monday Night Raw, obviously, this week, as you said. Yep. I watch Monday Night Raw as well. So did you see the, the, the WWE, the new 2K18 commercial? Yes. I'm, I'm pretty excited for that game, by the way. I don't know. Are you much of a gamer? I'm not much of a gamer. Every now and again, what will happen is I'll have, like, an urge to impulse buy. Which is exactly what I do with WWE games and Madden, by the way, which is and I'll completely go out, aside from that. Yeah, and I'll go out and either buy. Like, the last time I felt the urge to impulse buy, I went out and bought a whole game system and bought WWE, whatever it was, 2K16 or something. This was this was literally two years ago. Never once opened it. It's still sitting in the wrapper. But the 2K18 commercial was actually a really good commercial. Snoop Dogg yes. singing the song and the whole thing. Did a really decent job on selling me the game, and I, I might actually buy it. I'm leaning towards the purchase. I Just similar to what you said, and this is nothing against the game itself, but I could use the same comment for Madden as well. It uh, What happens is it... I played for a day, I played for two days, I played for three days, and then I don't play it Same. again. Ex- like, exactly. I have WWE 2K17. I even bought the, the fancy collector's pack because that's all they had left. So the $100 thing with the little figurine and whatever, it's literally still wrapped up the pack beside the game on the floor of my game room. Yeah, I... But that's what happens. If, anyway. pl- if, I pl- if I play any game, it's, it's for a couple days or anything like that, it. and then it sits there, and I use my Xbox for Netflix and WWE Network and everything. But you're right, though. The commercial was fabulous. They did a great job with the commercial. It did a great job of selling me the game, but you know what I noticed the most? What's that? Snoop Dogg was singing the song. Sasha Banks was in the commercial, but they didn't reference each other. Thank the Lord. Which was awesome, because in my opinion, listen, I love Sasha Banks. Sure. She's a great talent. She's Awesome. The boss character is fantastic. I like Snoop Dogg. But the whole Sasha Snoop Dogg thing, in my opinion, is so tired out. We get it. He's your cousin. Yep. I get it. I get the whole thing. I don't know why, out of everything in that commercial, that's what stuck out to me the most. But I was just like, it's it's kind of a breath of fresh air. No, it really is. And it, it's... I, I like the entrance at WrestleMania where he came out and rapped for her. That was pretty cool. And yeah, that I, forget, was awesome. I forget the female artist that was involved with that. But I it was, do too. But it was an awesome entrance. It was so cool. But again, it was just tired. I like the family and the storylines that they have sometimes. But you're very right. It's very tired. I'm tired of hearing it. Listen, all due respect to the greats and the legends, I'm tired of hearing about 
the, the parents and the fathers and the third and the fourth generation stars. And that's great. You want to note it once? Sure. But I'm tired of hearing about it all the time. Like, oh, okay. We know Cowboy Bob Orton is Randy's dad. Like, we get it. We didn't just see him at, on the side of the ring and getting beat up. Like, that's old. That's tired. That's ruthless aggression. That's attitude error, WWE. That's past. All right. Don't get I, hot I'm about so it. I'm so done. Don't get hot. I'm done. If you're hot, say you're hot. I am. Something really cool happened on NXT this week. Oh, yeah? yeah. I didn't see it yet, but spoil. Spoil um, for me. I'm going to have to spoil Hashtag spoiler alert. If you don't want to know, Some, press the volume down just for a little bit right here. Something really cool happened on NXT this week, and it's something that hasn't happened in the professional wrestling industry in about 20 years. And what's that? War Games is making a return. Really? To sports entertainment. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. William but- Regal announced on this week's episode of NXT that the War Games match would return at NXT TakeOver Houston, Saturday night, November 18th. Now, to make sure that you all know what this is, clarify what the exact War Games match is for us. So there, in this case, there's going to be three teams, I believe. Okay. See what our, it's going to be the Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly, mm-hmm. Sanity, Eric Young, Alexander Wolf, and uh, Killian Dane, and the Authors of Pain, along with Roderick Strong. Now, traditionally, the War Games is two rings, an enclosed cage, and in however many minute intervals, you know, at whoever's discretion, a person from a team enters the ring until everybody's involved. In the ring. Correct. Here's the, pro- here's the, here's the thing. I can remember years ago the Spirit Squad pitching Vince McMahon on this <laughs> to work DX and war games. And very understandably so, he shot it down because he didn't want to give up the extra seating that the ring was going to take up along with the cage, which was probably, you know, Several you know, in the thousands and thousands of dollars worth of ticket oh, sales. I'm absolutely completely understand. I'm wondering what changed. I mean, obviously it's been ten years or so, but like I'm, I'm wondering what changed. Maybe it's the whole Starcade bring back, and, and this is where I'm okay with bringing back things. I know I might sound like a bit of a hypocrite now talking about the Shield and all that previously, but that's where I'm okay with bringing back things because it's things you haven't seen in literally ten, fifteen, twenty years. Maybe it's that whole just the mindset of let's bring back some things. That were in the past. I like that idea. But my I have twofold concerns here. One, it has to be like the original match or close enough that it resembles it. And two, I remember in the past when WCW used to do it, the camera work being dreadful. Yeah. It's almost like the uh, Punjabi prison match. How it's like, <laughs> it, no, just, just camera wise. Obviously, it's a terrible match, too, we believe. But. It would just you couldn't see anything. There was a, a pole or a stick or this and that in the way. Like they should have had the cameraman inside the first level of that. And hopefully they'll have some cameraman inside the ring. And clearly they'll move around when needed, but there has to be a better camera work there. But WWE has top notch camera crew. Well, I mean I they, thought so, and then I saw Punjabi prison match. Well, you can only work with what you have. I mean, there's only well, that, whoever, that's whoever, why again whoever that's, designed the Punjabi prison. They, that's their fault. That's not the fault of the camera guys. But no, well, not the camera guys itself. But the, they could have done better job with that. It, hey, listen, it has the camera guys are my boys, Stu and uh, Rico and all the boys over there. They're my guys. Don't talk on them. Uh, I'm just fine. Well, Triple H tweeted out for the first time in nearly 20 years. Hashtag NXT Takeover War Games. Obviously, the War Games was the creation of Dusty Rhodes and a staple in the WCW and NWAs. I want to briefly mention real quick before we get to Jim Ross. Uh, Jeff Hardy had successful surgery on the rotator cuff, so he's expected to be out nine months at the at the longest, is from what I understand. But 
that would put him out of action for WrestleMania this year. Now, let me ask you this real quick, because uh, obviously we wish Jeff well. Your your guy, Matt Hardy's teasing a new gimmick change. Is he hashtag woke? Is that coming? His tweet was very similar to something like that. He did the Hardys over the years. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm being very honest. I don't know. Um, I haven't talked to him. I haven't talked to him in a couple weeks. I'm actually. here for spoiler alerts from you. You're yeah. you're his guy, I, I, and you got nothing for me. I don't have a good answer for you on that. But what I do have, we have Jim Ross coming up next. I am thrilled, thrilled. Good old Jr. Good old Jr. Jim Ross is stepping into wrestler court. Court is about to be in session as the Wrestler Court podcast with Keenan and Turtle rolls on. Jr. Coming right back. Hey, this is the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer, and you're listening to the Wrestling Court podcast. Taking your podcasting to the extreme. All right, Turtle, slam the gavel down. Court is in session, and joining us right now is a legendary broadcaster from WWE Monday Night Raw. He is a WWE Hall of Famer and author of the new book, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling. His name is Jim Ross, and he's on the line with us right now. How you doing, JR? I'm doing good. Good. Thanks for having me on. Congratulations on the new book. We appreciate you coming on and doing this with us. Oh, you bet. You bet. I'm glad to do it. I'm always happy to talk about Slobberknocker. <laughs> well, the book begins in Philadelphia uh, at WrestleMania 15, you know, us being a Philadelphia-based podcast, at the then First Union Center, now known as the Wells Fargo Center. As someone who has been coming to Philadelphia the majority of your career, what are some of your favorite Philadelphia memories? Well, the, the way our, our book starts and ends uh, was in, is in Philly. Uh, and it's a, then what we do in the middle is a really, I think, a unique story. But uh, Philadelphia is loaded with a lot of memories. I really believe that Philadelphia was going to be the site of my last uh, booking. And when I came back to do Austin and Rock 1 at WrestleMania there, uh, I think it was 15, that uh, I thought because of my second bout of Bell's Palsy, and it was kind of it was a pretty stiff affair, and, and the HDTV was getting in, coming into fashion and you know i never was a matinee idol uh so uh unlikely television guy for for sure so i philly's a, a you know is a big place for a lot of reasons but i really believe that that was where i was going to do my last event and thank god it wasn't but uh, philadelphia is always a special place for that regard it's kind of, it kind of i kind of relaunched my my journey in philadelphia so it'll always be a special place for me in that regard now, over the years, you've often referred to Vince McMahon as the chairman, which I, all, I always did enjoy personally. What was the reaction of Vince when you approached him to write the forward for Slobberknocker? Oh, he was, he was very happy to do it. You know, I, I, uh, I text him, and, and he, as he normally does, he texts me back in just a matter of minutes. And uh, he was very, uh, he said, I'm, I'm honored you asked me. So uh, it, was, it was a good it was uh, good for all of us, you know. I think uh, you know Vince is a very influential guy within the world of, of what we do, and and more so than anybody else I've ever come across. So uh, he was he was a perfect choice, I thought, and uh, was very happy to do it. So all the guys that you know, Austin Stone Cold's got an afterword. I got stuff from The Rock and uh, Coach Bob Stoops and uh, Mark Cuban, Billy Gibbons, a lot of guys, my buddies, a lot of friends of mine that are you know, have name identity, and, and, you know, obviously the game, name of the game is to try to market the book. I thought this book would not even be finished writing. After my wife got killed in March, I was just about ready to throw it in, because I'd already lost my first writing partner, Scott Williams, 
to unexpected death in August of last year. So then Jan dies in March of this year, and I'm trying to finish the book, and it just seemed to be a little bit insurmountable at some days. But uh, I'm glad I I uh, just rediscovered my uh, testicular fortitude, as Mick Foley would say, and <laughs> I finished the journey, and uh, I'm very proud of what we uh, produced. And I think uh, for my, my late wife's uh, sake and memory, I think it's a great... Uh, there's some great things in there about her and my life in general, uh, but she was a, such a big part of my career and and uh, was a great, uh, as I said before, coach's wife. She she was really good at uh, interacting with the talents, and inviting them into our home, and cooking and doing laundry. Gosh Almighty, she was just an, she went above and beyond the call and was uh, just uh, invaluable to me in, in every aspect of my life. So. The book was finished as it should have been. It's doing really good now. It's available to Amazon and Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. But Amazon's been doing a great job uh, getting the stuff there. They have inventory, and apparently some of the Barnes and Noble stores have had a hard time uh, keeping inventory. You have an entire chapter in this book dedicated to Paul Heyman. Where did the relationship start, and are you still friendly with him today? Well, it started uh, when I met him in WCW back in the eighties late 80s, and uh, I saw uh, riding with him and Eddie Gilbert on to some towns uh, for, t- for uh, television tapings in WCW, I saw, uh, discovered a very uh, intelligent, uh, observant student of the game, and he intrigued me with his personality and his, uh, his enthusiasm, but uh, he didn't fare so well with some of the other decision makers there. And uh, sometimes uh, Paul would fall afoul of the political process in power. So I, I had been using different guys as my partner on TV, and and knowing that I thought he was a hell of a talker, and he and he could he could he was coachable. He wanted to learn. Uh, I told the booking committee that I was going to use him as my partner, and and they were so relieved and happy. There was no pushback because nobody wanted to work with him. So me taking them off his hand, off their hands was a, a godsend to them. So uh, that's kind of how that started. Uh, there's stuff in the book, a lot of stuff in the book about Paul, as you mentioned. Uh, and uh, I just, I just think you know he's immensely talented, and why wouldn't I want to work with him? We sounded different. We had a, we had different edges, and I thought we blended well. And I just uh, always believed in his, his skills and. And yes, we're still friends today. He follows my special guest, the ringside with Jim Ross show in uh, New York City during SummerSlam weekend, and uh, was gracious enough to, to lend me his time. And it was just phenomenal. So yeah, we're still friends this day, and we're always going to be friends. You know, the the dynamic that we had on the air was extremely rare, it's extremely unique, and I think so many people believed, uh, even people that know the understand the business, really believe that. We hated each other then, and we hate each other now. And it's just, I get a, I'm really amused by that. But uh, Paul's still a great friend, immense talent, best talker in the business. And I'm just uh, really happy that uh, our paths crossed and we were able to work together uh, as successfully as we did. I want to briefly jump into some New Japan here, JR. Let's go back to Wrestle Kingdom 11, Kenny Omega versus Okada Turtle. They went 59 minutes 
Woo! in the Tokyo Dome. Now, everywhere you turn, someone was saying it was the greatest match that they've ever seen, while some of the wrestling purists, they, they kind of called it overrated. Jim, what did you what did you think of Omega Okada 59 minutes, the first match? I, I called it on Access TV. It was good. It was excellent. Now, you know, I don't know how everybody... I'm not as smart as you guys. I'm not as smart as the <laughs> younger, younger generation. I'm not able to break down every match I've ever seen and put them in some sort of numerical order. I can fall in love with a match after seeing it the first few hours. After seeing it, I can still be in, in, uh, enamored with it. But the all three of the Omega Okada matches that I called uh, with Josh Barnett this year, uh, I've enjoyed immensely. Uh, but I also enjoy going back to 89, the, the three Flair and Steamboat matches I call with three different partners. That was also a, a cool trilogy. So there's Rock and Austin, three main events at WrestleMania, 15, 17, 19, all very special. So it was a very special match, but I don't, I don't have the, either the skill set or the inclination uh, to want to go back in my history and say, oh, that was that, without a doubt the best match I ever saw, because I've seen a lot of really great matches. And I'm, when I say that out of great respect and, and uh, admiration, but uh, uh, Omega and Okada had three classics, no doubt. But were they the greatest matches of uh, that somebody ever saw? If you felt that way, then it was. Then it was. It's an individual thing, and it's very, very subjective. Of course, we're talking to Jim Ross, author of the new book, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling, available right now on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. JR, over the years, someone you've seen a lot of is Cody Rhodes, and he's someone that I've personally spent a lot of time with over the years, and I find his story fascinating. As someone who was in an executive position at one point and someone who knows talent very well, do you feel someone like Cody needed to go away from the WWE system and become the star that he knew that he could be before working his way back? And are there others in the WWE that could learn from his outside WWE success? Uh, I think that if it's the right thing to do at the end of the day, if, if, the, if, the, if departing WWE and Cody Rhodes' case, it's what it comes to. And then subsequently, uh, that separation results in positive uh, uh, actions. Uh, in other words, he's stayed booked. Uh, he's had some quality matches. He's gotten better as an entrepreneur, as a self-promoter, as a booker, as a worker. Then, yes, it was the right thing to do. It looks as if that, that's how it's playing out for Cody because he's maturing in every area. Uh, and because these guys that are on the quote-unquote indie circuit, uh, and whatever your definition of that is what it is, but the guys that are non-WWE guys, they're very, uh, uh, they have to be very entrepreneurial in spirit, and I think that's a really good thing. The Young Bucks have done a real good job with that. Uh, Kenny Omega, as we mentioned earlier, uh, with Okada has done a great job of marketing himself with merchandise and so forth. So Cody is uh, right there with those guys, and I think it apparently is the right thing to do. I mean, the, the, it's an individual thing. I couldn't say, well, here, this group of guys would be better off leaving. They may be. They may, they may be, they may be but uh, it's an individual thing. And uh, I felt like Cody probably was just getting very, very frustrated and had reached the point to where he needed to, he must do something, and he did. So uh, I don't know where the other guys feel about their progression, I know a lot of times uh, the uh, the talents themselves 
uh, in many cases around in the business in general won't take ex- take responsibility for their lack of success uh, to the to the fullest extent. It's always the office or they they didn't give me my push or they helped me back or they put a glass ceiling over my head. So whatever. They, so they are bad people apparently. Uh, but I always believe that in the, in this world where there's not an overabundance of highly skilled main event level talent that if you consistently do great work you overachieve on a regular basis you you regularly have the best match on the card on a on a house show or a TV show then then it's inevitable that you will eventually be quote unquote discovered the issue there is with my theory is that most younger talents in their 20s and early 30s don't have the patience uh, to go through that process. They want it today or yesterday. And it's just sometimes it's just not there for that to happen. So uh, a lot of I'm, – I'm kind of – I always keep an anxious eye with those those guys that are out there on the road uh, doing their indie thing. And, and But Cody's doing fine, and I hope he's saving his money. I hope he's paying his taxes and <laughs> doing all the things that an independent contractor uh, entrepreneur must do to stay ahead of the uh, Uncle Sam and, and fulfill his obligations there. Uh, and I'm sure that at some point, at least I'd say I'm sure, I'm relatively certain at some point that he will uh, reunite with WWE uh, when it's the best thing for all involved to do. You're easily one of the best to broadcast anything in sports, sports entertainment, in any walk of life. What drew you to the world of sports entertainment over like an ESPN or a CBS or some more mainstream outlets? Well, you got to understand, uh, mathematically speaking, when I was getting my game together as a young lad, there wasn't no ESPN. There wasn't cable. There wasn't the Internet. We had, I took a whole different route. That's why my book is different, I think, to get to where I am or uh, where, I, where I have been. You know, I'm lucky to be in three halls of fame. I'm lucky to have a 40-plus year career in the wrestling business. I wasn't. Guys like me aren't supposed to be hired in the wrestling business in a territory era. I wasn't a shooter. I wasn't a great athlete. I wasn't a worker. I wasn't going to be a worker. Didn't want to be a worker. Didn't want to be a wrestler. Uh, I wanted to be in broadcasting, but uh, but I was fascinated by the overall uh, process of pro wrestling. So I, I got a job from, a, from the booker, Bill Watts, who I think was a kind of an inside rib to Leroy McGurk, that he got Leroy a babysitter and a driver and somebody to buy his whiskey and all the, and his cigars and things. And that was me. So uh, that job probably should have lasted about a summer. But it lasted, you know, my love affair and getting a check out of wrestling lasted, has lasted over 40 years. So I obviously made the right decision. But it really wasn't easy to stay hooked and to stay in the business. If ignorance is bliss, sometimes guys, I, <laughs> if I had known how unwelcome I was and unlikely it was for me to succeed, being a completely neophyte, I didn't have any friends in the business. I didn't go through a school. I didn't. I didn't know anybody. Uh, I met Bill Watts through promoting two live events at my college for our fraternity. Uh, to to raise funds for a uh, nonprofit uh, uh, entity, and that's how I got in. And it was a, it couldn't have been a, it was a temporary deal. It wasn't a high. It wasn't a big time hire. I was making a buck twenty five a week. How valuable was I? You know, not a lot. But uh, it, it it was a really unique uh, journey for me, and and I'm uh, I have no regrets. 
I, I, there are things that happen that are hard to, to, to live through, but I have, and it's made me a better guy, I think. Do you have any advice for the young kids out there that are looking to break into, whether it's the wrestling world or the broadcasting world? Well, uh, you know, they're, they're, they both have some of the same characteristics in as much as, uh, uh, you know, I think it's, I'm, a big, I'm a big proponent of education. My first boss, Leroy McGurk, was a graduate of Oklahoma State, was the editor of the school paper, sports editor of the newspaper there. He was an academician. And he was a really a brilliant guy in that regard, and he was a shooter and all that good stuff. But you know, he was he was quite the uh, character beginning in the '30s, and then finally loses his, the sight. And his only the sight and the only eye he had that was uh, that was viable was uh, in 1951. So his career was cut short. Uh, brilliant guy though. So I'm a I'm a big proponent of education. So with that said. I'm a, I, I believe that to get in the wrestling business and to be an entrepreneur, to be an independent contractor, you, for your own peace of mind, you need to have Plan B somewhere in your within your reach. You have need to have, have prepared for Plan B. You need an education, a college degree, uh, a, a, a skill set in something else, whether it's welding or carpentry or plumbing or or something. You never want to leave yourself. With, with, we're having to have only one card to draw to, and that's getting over. And if I don't get over, my my professional life basically is done, because that's a helplessness that no one needs to perpetuate. So, I believe in having Plan B. Uh, I believe in if you're a broadcaster, uh, you've got to you've got to create a body of work. You've got to you've got to document on a reel your body of work in a succinct uh, uh, attention deficit disorder uh, fashion. But it's practical experience and and uh, being dedicated to what you want to do. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't make any money for years. I was 19 years. It took me 19 years in the business to do my first WrestleMania. So this ain't no overnight sensation. Oh, boy, this is no easy street. But once I got there, it was great. And it's, it's still great. And I'm very blessed I have had this run. But, you know, it's just preparation. Not plan B is a big thing. Education is a big thing. Having the patience to set a plan in motion and work your plan, uh, but it's a lot of goal setting. But boy, it's not easy. This the, the, in the world of wrestling, as lucrative as it is, if you can find your way into it, uh, it's challenging to get there. And uh, I, there's got to be a plan. So right now, if I'm a young guy and I want to wrestle a young woman and I want to get in the ring, I got to figure out some way to get to that performance center in Orlando. End of story. Whether one way or the other, either coming in or or, or, or moving through. But I got to I got to get to Orlando in some shape, form, or fashion. And if that means I got to go to Ring of Honor first, or I got to go to Impact Wrestling first, or Lucha Underground, or wherever it may be, uh, that's what I'll do. But at some point, if you want to live your dream and get to the promised land, uh, in my opinion, you've got to find your way to Orlando and become a star in the workouts and in the classroom at the Performance Center. You made mention of Cowboy Bill Watts, Jr. a couple minutes ago, and you've often through the years um, made mention of him as your mentor. What are some things that the Cowboy taught you that you've carried all the way through your career to the present day? Oh, uh, a ton of things. Uh, just fundamental stuff. Bill was very organized and very systematic. He had a, he had a, he had, he had a structure uh, within the wrestling business that was I, I suggest maybe uh, unparalleled. Uh, 
uh, he was ahead of his time and time management and things of that nature. But Bill did little things, you know. He had a system, as I said. If he got a bill in, uh, if they got a, if they got a, a, a bill, he liked for those bills to be paid the day that they were received. Pet peeve, I guess. But I'm that way today. If I get my phone bill, I'm, I'll break my ass to get it paid today, as if they're going to take my phone tomorrow. I don't know why it's that way. It's just that stuff I learned from Bill. Uh, I learned from Bill and from and from Vince. You know, you don't uh, ever uh, compromise or uh, take shortcuts with Uncle Sam. You always take care of your responsibilities as the taxpayer on time in full amounts and with no questions asked. So I've kind of followed that deal, too. But time management's a big deal. Watts was, Watts was a guy that, uh, and I'm bad about this, you know, uh, uh, he would tell you, God dang it, man! You got to tell me what time it is, not how to make how to make the watch. <laughs> so I was he was they were succinct, uh, and so time management, honesty, uh, sticking to your uh, your principles, and not compromising philosophy, uh, and to acquiesce to the ego of a talent. Sometimes you have to. Com- you, you certainly can. Uh, uh, Compromise. I'm not saying that, but you can't you can't throw away your values of your game. It's like saying, "Well, let's have a card. We don't have to have any finishes. We'll do DQs and countouts and referee stoppages and things like that, but we won't do any finishes." Well, you can't do that. That's not what people pay to see. And uh, but Watts is always very good about putting the audience first. I think that was something I learned. Uh, and respecting the business, I certainly learned that from Bill. And, you know, little nuances that he taught me, you know, uh, if little things that were so, that were simply words, different words, like saying, if a baby face takes a walk out of the ring, uh, he's regrouping. He's reevaluating his, his strategy. And you can bet when he comes back, you know, he's going to be a different cat. So you protect the baby face for walking away from the fight. A heel does the same thing. Oh, look at the look at Mr. Tough Guy. It's too hot for him in the kitchen. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so there's two different stories to be told for the same actions. And Watts is a master of teaching me all those things to take care of your hero and uh, to, to vilify the antagonist. And he was really good at that stuff. So uh, Bill's booking was basically based around human nature and uh, human elements because we all can share those traits. And uh, but he was he was really good. He was taskmaster, a little Vince Lombardi-like, I was, I'm guessing. Tough, hard-ass, you know, uh, fine guys. Uh, he fined Dick Murdoch everything he made, one uh, check but a dollar. Uh, so Murdoch got fined every town for being late, for horsing around or whatever. So I think Dickie was going to have like a five or $6,000 week. He ended up with a, a $1 week. <laughs> <laughs> Last one from me, Jaron. You were, just spoke about football a little bit. I have to ask you about your beloved Oklahoma Sooners. And one of your Sooners plays for our Eagles. We're a Philadelphia-based podcast here. And Lane Johnson, a former Sooner, plays for the Eagles now. Do you get to follow much of his career? Oh, yeah. I, I, Lane's a friend of mine. Uh, Lane's a good Twitter follower. Uh, follow and uh, former quarterback in high school and junior college, believe it or not. He came to Oklahoma and, and kept growing. He came in, and they thought, well, he'll be a tight end because he's not going to play quarterback for us. Uh, and he, had a, he, he could throw the ball like 80 yards, but, you know, he was, he was he's 6'7". So he was just kind of gangly for the QB. 
And then he started growing and eating, so they moved him to defensive end or to end, and he outgrew that, and he moved him to defensive tackle, and he outgrew that. So finally, I said, my God, he's going to be a monster. And he was six seven, three hundred and something. And they moved him to offensive line with his athletic ability from being a, a former uh, a back. Uh, you know, he was just phenomenal. And now he's one of the most quality right tackles in the league, and I'm so glad he plays for us here at the Eagles. Yeah, he's a player and a good guy, and I'm I'm proud of him. He's a good center, so he's a good one for you guys. So he'll be he should be a he should be a stalwart, a linchpin in that uh, on that Eagle team for years to come. All right, Jr. Last question: When everything is said and done, and when Jim Ross goes home, and as your friend Steve Austin says, you ride off into the sunset. How does Jim Ross want to be remembered? Well, as a wrestling fan, that got to live his dream and never retired. I will never die of. Uh, I will never die of rust, fellas. Well, Jr.'s time comes <laughs> because he's going to be die, he's going to die of use. So, but a wrestling fan that lived his dream and and lived it till the very last day. Well, Jim, for my money, you are one of the best to ever do it. The book is called Slobberknocker: My Life in Wrestling. We wish you nothing but the best in the future, and I, I hope to see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. The great Jim Ross. Our thanks to Jim Ross for a fantastic interview. A great story again. The book is Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling, available on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. Hey, do us a favor. Follow us on social media, at Real Kev Keenan, at Eric S. Golden, and of course, the show account, at Wrestler Court, all on Twitter. Court is adjourned. We will see you next week. This has been Wrestler Court with Keenan and Turtle, powered by Sports Radio 94, WIP.